Hello and welcome to Unauthorized Cinnamon, a Deadwood podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Harry J. Perales. And I'm Tother, Daniel Harmon. <laughs> no, Daniel Harmon Tother. Tother? It's Tother. Yes. And uh, this week we're uh, going to kind of change things up and uh, have a very special episode because um, unfortunately uh, this week we get the tragic news that uh, Cy Tolliver himself, uh, beloved uh character actor but mostly villainous character actor uh powers booth passed away and so we thought we would take just kind of a, this week to do a kind of a remembrance episode of a, a very very unique i think uh american face and voice in uh, cinema yeah he's definitely the more i like looked into it it was he he was sort of a, a avatar of a very specific character in movies and especially like uh, American movies. Right. Um, he very ably personified the sort of uh, masculine power, for lack of a better word. <laughs> it's a very, uh, very apt name. Like gravitas and um, menace. Yeah. Uh, and... I mean, given the way he was typically cast, mm-hmm. they usually wrapped in like greed and um, uh, hostility. And anyway, yeah, right. especially for the seventies and eighties where he was most active, it was mm-hmm. uh, very defining of the, the place and time. Right. And uh, what's really strange about Pirates Booth is you look at certain other like heavies, and um, you. You can you can be like oh no like if you see like Sylvester Stallone where he was cast as like a heavy and like you know Death Race two thousand and they uh, I think even uh, somebody on the production was like uh, yeah no he's great but he'll never be a leading man and obviously that proved to be wrong because mm. you know Sylvester Stallone pretty much owned the eighties but um, you know there's certain actors that you see and you're like man if only they were given a chance if only they were given a chance and um, I don't know if Powers Booth could have been that kind of leading man, but I don't think that that's a problem. I think that he mm. is a very like, you know, I, I spent the past the past week watching, rewatching, and watching a lot of his performances, and uh, you know, he has a very, very kind of unique, uh, I, and I can't even say that it's old fashioned because I was I was looking at it, and it's it's a little too sinister, but I, I guess it could kind of uh, be placed in like. Um, like kind of characters like uh like Lee Marvin and the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance mm. and uh but kind of like a later kind of more cynical and he was always kind of characterized as that but at the you know at the beginning of his career you can see that they're kind of like priming him up but it's, <laughs> it's like oh yeah this is this is going to be the next big like leading man this is going to be a huge but you when you watch him you realize like no there's there's just too much menace there there's just <laughs> there's too much darkness that they can't really kind of rein in yeah, so we were just going to take this episode to kind of go through a couple of performances and note a couple of ones and uh, really kind of dig deep into Powers Booth. Just to yeah, pay tribute to him, I don't know. Yeah, and kind of do a, a overview of the character of Psy since, right. you know, we are a... a Deadwood podcast. Deadwood podcast, <laughs> and Psy was a very important character. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, should we just kind of go chronologically in his? Yeah, I think um, I think <laughs> it, yeah, it may as well start with uh, kind of it's it's really the uh, 
you know, there's he made a lot of direct to or like TV movies and direct to video stuff. So uh, I didn't really get a chance to watch all that. And I haven't seen a lot of those and all of his like TV work on like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Nashville yeah. as of late. But I'm sure he's playing Powers Booth mm-hmm. and I'm sure they're using Powers Booth. Um, I should have should have got Claudia to tell me what Powers Booth was like in Nashville because she oh yeah she loved that show <laughs> call her right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, well, one thing that I saw with a lot of these movies is, um, and I think this kind of this kind of uh, identifies Powers Booth as well is that every kind of thriller that he was in, I always saw like underrated thriller, underrated, underrated, <laughs> and I was like, oh fuck, like poor guy, like. Yeah. You know, he made these movies that were pretty fucking cool, but they were kind of seen at the time and kind of forgotten by, like, bigger actions. You know, they were forgotten by, like, you know, like, you know, Die Hard came out and all this other stuff came out and just you kind of forgot about it. Mm-hmm. But um, his big, his kind of big breakout role was uh, the TV movie where he played Jim Jones, uh, Guyana Tragedy. And um, it's really, <laughs> it's really fascinating the way that, because uh, this is really the only time he, you know, because in a lot of these, in a lot of like, you know, these roles, aside from Deadwood, you know, he's he's very present in Deadwood. Right. But in a lot of these other roles, you're like, oh, Powers Booth wasn't in that as much as I would have hoped or, you know, mm. I'm sure he would have hoped. But this is the one time where it's like, no, he's kind of center stage. He's, and what's really fascinating is that um, he really, <laughs> you know, the movie opens up with him at uh, Jonestown and he's kind of has a, he flashes back and, you know, we see him as a child and, you know, this, this, you know, fire and brimstone little kid. And then it jumps to him as 18, but it's Powers Booth playing an 18 year old as an orderly in a hospital <laughs> with the same hairline. And, <laughs> and you're like, no, nah, it's, you know, I mean, but he, he's, you know, he does pretty well. And what's, what was really kind of uh, fascinating about, this movie was, I was like, well, what is he going to do? What kind of, you know, what kind of angle is he, or is it just going to be powers? But like, how does he play it? But what he ends up doing is you really root for Jim Jones for like the first hour of this movie. <laughs> you really like him a lot. Wow. Even like the begin, the very beginning, um, he's a, sh- you know, a shitty kid. And they see he has kind of like a tough upbringing and mm-hmm. he's surrounded by racists and people who don't take, you know, the gospel like he does. But, you know, he's a little turd about it. And then when he gets to be like 18, you know, he's this progressive minded, you know, preacher who will not tolerate racism. Hmm. Like, oh, fuck. And, you know, and the way he plays it and he uses this kind of like anger and animosity towards people who uh, don't. Who don't love all of God's children. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, oh, hell yeah, Jim Jones, <laughs> like for about <laughs> yeah. an hour and slowly you see you know powers booth had it like you know from you know from the get-go that kind of thing we see in like cytolive this like manipulative cunning and it, it's perfectly played into jim jones the way he manipulates all these people and has this charisma and he's you know this great salesman and this great orator and um Another thing I noticed about like these earlier movies is just, you know, he he's one of those actors who had an awkward phase as an adult because you look at him huh. and he's still kind of forming. And even his face, like his, you know, if you look like from the nose up, 
he does not like it's it's not that he doesn't emote he just doesn't move and uh literally his jaws are shaped like a ventriloquist quiz dummy and you just see his mouth kind of move and him like if the rest of his face aside from like his bottom jaw does not like move you're like, huh. holy shit and you, you kind of like end up just watching him to see if it will and uh, it's kind of more like a nutcracker That's honestly <laughs> like and i didn't notice this until i was just like inundated with you know these characters that he was playing mm-hmm. and um i mean obviously we know what happens in jonestown right. and he he appropriately gets crazier and crazier and crazier and uh, you know the end where he's giving that speech as everybody's drinking the flavor aid, which is what it actually was. It was not Kool Aid; it was flavor aid. Haha! Uh, don't you all feel stupid now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a what a really petty <laughs> thing to. I'm gonna turn that uh, into a new Frankenstein's monster. It's like uh-huh. actually they're drinking the flavor aid. Yeah, actually. <laughs> uh, what a really yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> that's my bad. I'm sorry, but um. Yeah, and just just his voice, and you hear kind of this. There's a menace to his voice, and there's also a calming aspect to it. How very much I've tried to give you a good life. It's been said by the greatest prophets since time immemorial: no man takes my life from me. I lay my life down. live in peace, then let die in peace. Now, now what's going to happen here in a matter of a few minutes is that one of our people is going to shoot the people who left. I didn't tell him to do it, I didn't plan it, but I know it's going to happen. That's just as plain as I can tell you, and I've never lied to you. I never have lied to you. So my opinion is, you be kind to children. You be kind to seniors. And you take the potion like they did in ancient Greece and step over quietly. Because we're not committing suicide. It's a revolutionary act. distinct from like the get-go and in that movie he looks like uh there's moments where he looks like gregory peck hmm. it's like a mixture of gregory peck and uh, kevin mccarthy i think his name was that actor from like invasion of the body snatchers yeah it was yeah he was a old kind of b-movie actor and um but yeah he has this kind of look about him and so you could you kind of get like you know glimpses of like you know Atticus Finch or something standing up for something more, but then it gets perverted and yeah distorted, and uh, yeah it's just a really and it's it's really unfortunate because he doesn't get a role like that again. No, and uh, and fair enough for, for that he won uh, the Primetime Emmy Award for Best Actor, and uh, as you'll see, in, if anybody who looks up his wikipedia page he was uh, one of the because of a i think it was a sag actor or sag strike oh he was one right. of the only actors across the picket line to go uh accept his award and he claimed at the time this is either the bravest or the dumbest thing i've ever done and unfortunately i wonder if that kind of had any kind of uh bearing on his career or how people kind of cast him that's kind of tough yeah because um 
I imagine for a young actor like that, it's mm-hmm. a huge uh, honor to get and pretty tough to turn down. Right. Especially but, for especially for a role like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, that sucks to... I mean, he was still a young actor, but that's mm-hmm. an incredible opportunity and you pr- must have worked super hard because he carried that entire movie, I yeah. would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, With help mm. from LeVar Burton and actually a lot of other people, but uh, yeah, no, he's... He's the star that, like, you can't take your eyes off him when you're watching that. Yeah. But, um, you know, from there, from there he kind of went into the character actor role mm-hmm. uh, well, phase of well, his well, life. Well, actually, actually uh, his, his next two kind of roles that I was going to bring up are actually atypical of it because even though there is that menace there, like, they, um, it's the first time he works with Walter Hill is a son of Southern Comfort, mm-hmm. which is uh, about... Uh, <laughs> It's a deliverance and shade with shades of the Vietnam War and uh, oh yeah a bunch of National Guardsmen uh, going into the swamps of Louisiana and uh, running into some like very disgruntled Cajuns. I did see. Now you guys can laugh if you want, but I I saw Doug Benson tweeted out, you know, and you can laugh at Doug Benson because ho ho weed whatever, yeah. but he's seen a shit ton of movies and yeah, he's very right. thoughtful about mm-hmm. movies. He's he singled out Southern Comfort in his mm-hmm. like R.I.P. tweet. He was like. My favorite performance of his was Southern Comfort. Yeah. And it's 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 really weird because you watch it and he is he is one of the heroes of that movie, but he's also as dark as you can be in that movie. Because mm-hmm. he, he's kind of he's kind of brought in from the Texas National Guard and he's kind of the you know, he's kind of the supposedly the more stable, but you look at him and he looks like a fucking beast. <laughs> like huh. His hair is like disheveled and he's just like, you know, menacing and menacing looking. You look at him, you're like, oh, he's going to he's going to murder everybody. In <laughs> Spencer. Yeah. I want to know what the fuck's going on here. I don't get you. Well, I'll make it real simple. My company transfers me to Baton Rouge. Been down here about six months. Now, I don't know a goddamn thing about the swamps of Louisiana. I get sent out on some bullshit military exercise, and all of a sudden, guys start coming at us from out of the fucking trees. Now, I'll ask you again, what the hell is going on here? I'll tell you something. I'm just a city boy. You got a question about what's going on here? I haven't the slightest fucking idea. Except we ran into some people that are real weird, and I think maybe they're trying to kill us. All because some asshole fired blanks out of his damn machine gun. Yeah, because a bunch of assholes stole some boats. Yeah. But yeah, but you watch that movie, and I think you're starting to see, like, okay, he's not going to be, like, like a Tom Selleck, or he's not going to be, like, a Harrison Ford or something. He's not going to be this kind of, like, you know, action star. Like, he'll be in action movies, and he'd be great in action movies, but he's got something darker to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and, and in that movie, he kind of takes like he he's not like the like the star of that movie is Keith Car- or uh, Keith Carradine, and he kind of becomes his like right hand man and being like you know you should be leading this you know platoon you know we should be you should be in charge of everything, and uh, there's a really 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 great sequence near the end, which I think is kind of the the. The one that's usually singled out to where uh, Keith Carradine and uh, 
Powers Booth are in this Cajun community, and there's this dance sequence and uh, music done by Ry Cooter. Mm. And um, it's just really well orchestrated. And also, you have to keep into account, this is Walter Hill, like, post-Warriors, post-The Driver, and, um, you know, really kind of amping his, or flexing his kind of action muscles and showing, like, like building up all of these, like, you know, suspense or, you know, set pieces. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really, really, and where Powers Booth is kind of like, he's like, this isn't, you know, we're, we shouldn't have our guard down. He cares. He's like, no, let's dance with these Cajun people. And uh, nothing against Cajun people, but, you know, and, you know, the people here are fine, but it's the other ones who are come to find them. We soon see. And they like, they hang like, there's this great part where he looks out the window and Powers Booth is like, he sees them hanging up two nooses and he's like, oh shit. And he has to go run for a knife. And then they see, that they brought a pig that they're slaughtering. And they're like, oh, it's the pig. Okay. But still, like... Yeah. You know, and he he plays that really well. And with that kind of intensity you see in his face. But, you know, also that kind of... uh, trying to think of the... I want to say sterile intensity because that sounds like there's nothing, but there's it's clearly there, but there's no movement. But it's, it's a steady, steady. It's like a controlled intensity, like right. He just seems like a strong, like man of the earth. And yeah. Just like <laughs> as much as shit's going down, he's not. His lips not going to quiver. You know? No, he's just like we gotta get the fuck out of here. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but yeah, Southern Comfort. Uh, if y'all haven't seen it, it's definitely worth. And a lot of these Powers Booth movies, I'm sure a lot of you haven't seen, but uh, definitely worth. Uh, worth watching it's a great great walter hill movie and it's a terrific powers booth movie mm. and one of the few kind of instances where he's like a co-lead um the next movie i want to talk about is actually a movie i'm really fond of even though it kind of goes against um every fiber of my political being but so does its director but i still love him immensely um red dawn yeah the original <laughs> red dawn where uh, Russia invades uh, Colorado, <laughs> and a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, squeaky faced or uh, squeaky clean uh, pimple faced teens, Brat Packers, Brat Packers <laughs> turn into the Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, and, yeah. Honestly, yeah, and that's something I, you know, that's I'm sure people have kind of written about it, but something that I remember watching Red Dawn for the first time at, like a couple years ago. I, I'd seen pieces of it on cable, but I finally watched it, and I was like. This is Inglorious Bastards. This is where, <laughs> and if you look at the end of Inglorious Bastards and in Special Thanks, you see John Milius. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so, like, the Wolverines are the bastards, and uh, Powers Booth's character comes in about an hour in, and he's only in there for twenty minutes, so he's kind of like the Michael Fassbender of this movie. Huh. And okay. um, and this is kind of a this is kind of an anomaly for those roles because there's no like. There's nothing, I mean, the Powers Booth menace is there, but he's actually more kind of, you know, he's not like a, he's not like a father figure. He's more like an uncle figure or like an older, like cousin figure. And he just, you know, Leah Thompson comes upon him about an hour into the movie and, um, you know, thinks she's going to shoot him because she doesn't know if he's American. And then he proves he's an American. And she asks him what the capital of Texas is. And he's like, it's awesome. She's like, wrong, it's Houston. He's like, you've seen too many damn movies. <laughs> <laughs> should be. Yeah, it, it should be, really. But um, the best city doesn't equal capital. It's true. <laughs> but uh, But yeah, and then for the 20 minutes that he's in the movie, he basically takes it over and he becomes like the lead 
Kind of like when we watch Glorious Bastards, see Michael Fassner, like, okay, here's the leading man who's going to lead us through the rest of the movie. Yeah. You know, even more than Brad Pitt, because Brad Pitt, you're like, oh, he's a pumpkin. Yeah, it's going to be. <laughs> and also, he fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. But, um, but uh, yeah, he's this kind of like, and w- w- one thing I noted when I when I was rewatching it for this was um, really all he does is he's there to kind of show the you know this little platoon of uh, scrappy you know uh, ruffians uh, what real military kind of tactics are because there's a really great bit, really funny bit where he uh, sets up this plan where they're gonna attack this base. All right, plane, 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 plane. Cuban bunker, Russian bunker, munitions dump, troop tents. Machine gun bunkers here, 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 and here. Back here by the drive-in screen are your political prisoners. All right, we'll cause a diversion over here. Cut holes in the wire here. Fire on all these machine gun positions. The B group comes across this area in a flanking maneuver, and when you reach this bunker, you lay down grazing fire in this defilade. I think that's pretty simple. Anybody got any questions so far? What's a flank? A defilet? Yeah, what's grazing fire? I need a drink. (laughs) He's like, oh, I need a drink. (laughs) Good tool for this shit. Yeah, (laughs) you realize he's talking to just a couple of teenagers. I'm kind of shocked that him and John Milius didn't work together more. Right. But maybe that's just too much grizzled. Too much much grizzled, man. (laughs) Too much testosterone for the screen. Yeah. But you know that, like, Powers Booth, you know, Walter Hill and John Milius and, like, any kind of action director were like, yeah, let's get, yeah, Powers Booth (laughs) any chance we get. Don't you wish you were saying Peckinpah? Oh, I sure do. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh,. But he's only in it for like uh, 20 minutes and uh, Leah Thompson like develops a huge crush on him, which is it's kind of weird to see him playful because you're like, he's going to again. And you're like, he's going to turn on them at any minute. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. gonna... <laughs> this guy is not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, what I what I was getting to earlier is um, one thing that I noticed about this movie what, or his performance in it is that another reason he's perfect for John Milius is that um, basically his character also exists to give kind of uh snapshots of the outside world of uh, only through monologues and he gives like oh. three pretty good monologues and you realize this is you know this is made by the writer of the indianapolis speech of jaws oh right right and so you watch powers booth you're like yeah this is a guy you want to hear like tell like you know a monologue that you would get by like quint or something or mm-hmm. you know there's this really uh there's a really really great um monologue by the Teddy Roosevelt character in The Wind of the Lion about, you know, the grizzly bear being uh, the American character. Mm-hmm. And um, you realize, like, yeah, you know, there's only a couple of actors who can, like, pull this off of, like, painting, you know, images in your mind just by, you know, just by, you know, the way they deliver lines. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's really great to see him like that. And you also see him kind of pained where, like, and that's also a moment where you see him, like, genuinely upset because he doesn't know if his wife's alive. And he's heard stories about what they do to survivors, what the, you know, the Russians in the movie do to survivors. Hmm. And the way that he's able to get that across. And, but it's frustrating. It's, it's upsetting because at the same time, you're like, man, yeah, he would be a great, he could do it, but that's not what he was put here for. <laughs> like, he wasn't <laughs> put here to be the hero. He was put here 
to be the heaviest heavy that ever fucking lived. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, he, and he's out like 20 minutes into the movie. There's just a small chunk that just becomes, uh, Red Dawn starring Powers Booth. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, then the next movie I want to talk about is uh, a really like I'd heard I'd heard uh, I'd heard about it, but I'd never gotten around to watching it before. But, you know, I like Walter. I love Walter Hill movies. And uh, I'd heard this line because, uh, you know, it's an apocalypse now. And this movie was actually originally written by John Milius and he was supposed to make it, but made Big Wednesday instead his uh, surfer epic. Yeah. And um, it's called Extreme Prejudice, starring Nick Nolte and uh, co-starring Powers Booth and Maria Conchita Alonso. And uh, also Michael Ironside and Clancy Brown and a lot of other great character actors. And uh, Rip Torn as well. <laughs> <laughs> Bull boy. Yeah. But, um, a lot of strong jaws in that yeah, cast. We... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, Extreme Prejudice is... Uh, it's Walter Hill, like like you were saying, I wish I was packing, but this is, like, clearly, <laughs> he wants to, and even John Milius, uh, I'm sure it was in his original script, I didn't really look that up that much, but, you know, um, you know, it ends with a shootout that you're like, okay, this is the Wild Bunch, but, you know, it's still pretty awesome, you know, if, if you do the Wild Bunch well, it's kind of a hard to, hard to fu- <laughs> fuck that rules. Up. Yeah, it's hard to, like, have a bad time at that. Yeah, but um, clearly doing is like Peck and is, and um, Powers Booth is. This is when you, you know, again, like I said, I'm not like an expert on Powers Booth, but from like you know the t- looking at his timeline or something, this is like okay, this is the Powers Booth role. Mm-hmm. He like he open the movie opens up, or his character is introduced into the movie. Um, <laughs> one of the first things we see him do. As he steps out on this patio in the middle of like you know this Mexican desert or this Texas like desert, and um, a scorpion crawls across his hand. It goes into his hand, and he just fucking crushes the scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh fuck yeah, that dude can do that. You know, there's there's few actors who could pull off crushing a scorpion <laughs> with their bare hands, and uh, Powers Booth is certainly one of them. And he spends the rest of the movie kind of. Um, uh he's in this white suit he's this drug lord who uses this kind of helicopter to you know stay mobile and eventually he goes to to mexico and nick nolte and uh, there's this side story about well it's not really a side story there's like parallel plots going on with like these uh special ops covert missions dudes who are like trying to catch uh trying to catch a powers booths uh drug kingpin character and they're, you know, they're declared killed in action. And so they're able to do these secret international kind of uh, special ops missions. And Nick Nolte is a uh, a, a, tech, a Texas Ranger in a small town who grew up with Powers Booth as his best friend. Isn't <laughs> he, that like justified? <laughs> <laughs> well, pre-justified. Yeah. But um, it's actually got, uh, Roger Ebert pointed out in his review, it's got Shades of the Third Man in it. Where it's like oh, Joseph Cotton, wow. Orson Welles uh, vying over Maria Conchita Alonso, who is the Alita Volley character. Yeah. And uh, uh, Power, so Powers Booth is playing his uh, Harry Lime. Mm-hmm. And God, just any time he's on. Because another thing that's unfortunate is that uh, 
Powers Booth isn't in this movie as much as I'd wished, especially for being like a co-lead. Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, the side plot with like Michael Ironside and Clancy Brown and all these special, like planning this bank robbery to get like info, uh, like pretending like they're just bank robbers. And then you find out like Michael Ironside's actually a bad dude and, you know, whatever. But you're like, well, that's taking up a, well, this parallel plot's taking up most of the movie. <laughs> I want to see some Powers Booth. Yeah. And, um, but there's a really, really great, um, there's a really great like final showdown between like Nick Nolte and Powers Booth, and you know their characters who are like best friend who've been best friends since they were kids and were on the same football team. They just like pray for any of the other like football teams they had to play against. <laughs> just the two like most menacing like you know Texas or just menacing dudes just like rushing at him. Yeah, but um, but this is kind of you see shades of kind of sight Oliver. No idea how good it is to see you. These people here, I'm telling you, they can't find old cash in a verbal sphere at all. When I'm flying, son, it is solo. <laughs> and you know that feeling when you're talking along and you pause for a minute, maybe freshen your bourbon, do up and fly or something. You look around real careful, and you know in your heart it's all just wasted. Ain't nobody understands where you're at. All your private jokes and subtle conversations are just sailing right past them. You know me, Cash, I keep the conversation simple. <laughs> the hell you do, Jack. Ah, <laughs> oh, miss you, boy. It's too bad you turned out to be such a shit heel and wouldn't do business with me. We'd have done great by each other. Come on in. We'll rustle up Sarita and then we'll have us a little fun, I promise. He really has nothing, like, his character has, uh, and his, his name is fucking Cash. Like, mm-hmm. that shows, like, what all he is living for. He's just living for these extremes. And he even try- he gets Maria Conchita Alonso back, but then they're not getting along. And then he wants to take her places, but then he's just kind of doing lips. All he cares about is his excess and this money. And at the very end, he really has nothing to live for except for the fact he doesn't want to lose. Hmm. So, uh, or he can't, he can't do, he just doesn't want to give it up. But yeah, his delivery and everything. But th- this is kind of of the movies I watch. Like this is the kind of Powers Booth that you know. This is you know, if he was applying for a job for a Powers Booth type, he would give this performance. You know, it's like the platonic ideal of the Powers Booth role. Yeah, exactly. I assumed you watched Tombstone. Oh yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? No, um, is that good? Have you never seen it? Actually, no, no oh. I have. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's say, is that good? And then I was thinking about it, and I'm like, well, it's not it's, it's a fair question. Yeah, it's it's definitely entertaining, and it's fun to watch. It's really fucking fun to watch. And um, he <laughs> he's having a great time <laughs> playing Curly Bill. You know, and he's... Uh, it's, it's funny, because he's not... He is menacing, but he he's not as menacing as like Michael Bean's kind of character next to him. Like he's always like, "Hey, it's fun. Yeah, I got this big mustache." Yeah, <laughs> but um, you can really tell that he has a he's having a great great time playing the heavy, and uh, <laughs> there's that great bit with um when uh, Wyatt Earp after uh, his brother has been killed. He's he's gonna leave. He's you know taking his brother to leave town, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he stops by him, and uh, he's like, "I'm just letting you know that it's over." And Powers Booth just looks at him and is like, "Well, 
Bye. Bye. <laughs> that might be, if not Cy Tolliver, that might be his legs, just that gif. Yeah, well, <laughs> bye. <laughs> it's like this is a bitchy as he can be. Mm-hmm. There's also another really great bit with... um, And that, that's just a role that you can see. He's just having a lot of fun. Because there's even a that sh- that final shootout between him and White Earp and White Earp's people and you know his people and the in the by the river. There's this bit where he's like screams something and White Earp and a White Earp and an explosion goes off in his face like a gunshot goes off by the tree next to him, and he ducks back and then he leans forward and starts busting out laughing, <laughs> like he's like ah, <laughs> like, he just loves it. That or it could have been just like a nervous like oh fuck that almost blew my face off. <laughs> But yeah, so um, those are just a couple of performances. And also, like, um, I think the first, uh, a lot of people brought this up, but the first um, kind of introduction I had to him, or like consciously had had of him, was, uh, wasn't Deadwood. It was actually his little bit in Sin City. Yeah, I'm trying to do the math right now. I think Sin City was the first time I was, mm-hmm. you know, at least aware of it. I think I might have seen, like, Tombstone on TV or right. something, but... Uh yeah, he was yeah he made an impression in that movie yeah because when did that come out like oh two oh three uh oh five five yeah yeah okay so, yeah I must have seen that first I thought yeah. I was in <laughs> I was trying to give myself the benefit of the doubt that yeah. I was a high schooler when I liked that movie <laughs> no <laughs> uh alas um but it, yeah it's funny because like that was the first time because I'm sure I'd seen his face before and I'm sure I'd heard his voice he just comes into the movie that was the first time that like I got the name. I attributed the name Powers Booth, which sounds which sounds like a really bad like like pulp novel villain like you know Powers John Wilkes Booth you know this right you know there's no way he's not gonna play like an evil character and um, I saw you know I heard that name and then I saw you know his performance as a uh, Senator Rourke uh, the Yellow Bastard's father mm-hmm. and uh, I rewatched the clip <clears throat> and obviously I. I loved the movie when I first came, like watching it now. You're like, okay, this is a little. Oh, it's very bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and even his dialogue he's giving, you're like, okay, this is like Frank Miller. Yeah. Nonsense. Yeah, and I'll yeah. say like at the time, I I bought it on DVD. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I still own it too. But uh, even watching like him giving like bad cliche dialogue, the way he sells it mm. is so it it just stops you in your track. You're like, Fuck. Pulling that trigger make you feel powerful. Power don't come from a badge or a gun. Power comes from lying. Lying big and getting the whole damn world to play along with you. Once you got everybody agreeing with what they know in their hearts ain't true, you got them by the balls. There's what, maybe 500 people in this hospital. pump you full of bullets right now and I wouldn't even be arrested everyone would lie for me everyone who counts otherwise all their own lies everything that runs in the city it all comes tumbling down like a pack of cards okay mm-hmm. and he, uh, Robert Rodriguez even did something to his eyes which uh, I, I look at it and it looks kind of like a cat or something he gave him like like these like light the sliver con- pupils yeah yeah something like that huh. made him look super evil so I just attributed that to what his eyes looked like. Even even watching like Deadwood, <laughs> there's just something so black about his eyes, something so dark. Or you know the you know his eyes are just so dark that um, 
it automatically has that kind of like sliver kind of a pro it looks like a you know snake it looks like a snake or something mm. just because you know his eyes are so dark but uh but yeah that that left an impression on me i was like oh, powers booth you know and that in a lot of ways was kind of a introduction to Cy Tolliver, like a mm-hmm. transition into it because right that senator Rourke's all about you know power and money mm-hmm. and, and all that and that's kind of Cy Tolliver's driving motivations it's more money than mm-hmm. power for Cy but he certainly enjoys getting the power in order to make more money yeah yeah like we saw with um General Crook and him siding up with Hearst so so maybe we should just start talking about Cy a little bit absolutely yeah this is definitely uh this is kind of what Powers Booth, and, you know, rightfully so, this is his kind of, you know, capstone performance. This is, right. you know, the performance of his career, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I haven't seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but yeah. <laughs> I'm going to guess. Have you seen Justice League or Justice League Unlimited? No. He's very, good. He's very good as Gorilla Grodd. Gorilla Grodd? <laughs> what words are you saying to me right now? Um <laughs> But yeah, so Sight Holliver represents kind of the dark id of American capitalism, would you say? Right. Like, uh, uh, as much as Walcott and later Hearst um, kind of represent its kind of mechanized death force, Sai mm-hmm. is, is the all the worst impulses of American capitalism and, and the way you, you um, uh, use people and commodify not just women but like men as well and mm-hmm. um he as much as his love for Joni tries to peek through the clouds he's it's always um subverted by his need for for money mm-hmm. and getting more and more um what's really interesting to me is that in uh his book Tales from the Black Hills David Milch says that the plan for Sai was to slowly and eventually turn him into the camp's biggest feminist and the biggest like <laughs> crusader for women's rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think he meant it like he's going to carry a suffrage banner. I think he meant like he's sick of whatever happens. And you know, it's that he must dedicate at least a couple seasons to that transformation because that would take a long time. Mm-hmm. But that would have been really fascinating to see. And it, I'm a little sad that he was denied um, getting to play that transition. Mm-hmm, right. Because he was, you know, almost every obituary of his, you know, said like, oh, known for his dark roles, mm-hmm. um, which is which is true. That's what he always played. You know, even when he was even his most sympathetic roles were undercut by menace and, yeah. <laughs> and violence. So this opportunity for him to kind of show the layers underneath Psy would have been I think a great um opportunity for him even if it didn't lead to any more um recognition mm-hmm. by the public he at least would be able to exercise those muscles you know yeah absolutely it's also especially a bummer now we're hearing like kind of rumblings about the Deadwood movie possibly coming into fruition and uh, right. Yeah. And you know, it would have been really, really terrific to see powers booth again. And maybe that would have been when he gets to play that or he yeah. gets to play after that transition. We're filled in mm-hmm. later, but then, you know, now that's not happening. Which yeah. Is, 
which is sad. Um, but yeah, um, he was really, really great playing Sai. Yeah. I don't know how many times an episode we'd end up doing an impression <laughs> of it. Absolutely, yeah. And how many times, like, I'll never not think it's funny just because it, it's such a very distinct kind of characteristic and you know what, um, you know, that's kind of the mark of a great character is when you know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's only maybe a couple of things that choices that they're going to make. Yes. And there's certain moments from side that I think are so iconic. Like you and I were talking before we recorded the moment with him and Lila in bed. Mm-hmm. Lila says that she prays for him every night and he physically rejects it. You know, <laughs> he digest, but you see him kind of digest it for a moment. Like, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. but he, he can't, he he cannot accept the idea of a god looking down on him and someone caring for him like Mm -hmm. in that way um in the moments with Joni when he is struggling to have a normal relationship Mm -hmm. you can see him trying to like hey honey uh, you know i got my feelings of fucking affection and (laughs) trying to give her um you know guidance Mm -hmm. out of love but it comes through as as this really harsh advice that she rightfully just doesn't accept Mm -hmm. um and then it's it seems distasteful to bring up in a tribute to him but he had some really nasty moments too like you and i are never gonna forget the floor and miles no never um and let's give credit like as much as we don't want to we feel like we don't want to bring that up, but that's excellent work. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That he did. Mm-hmm. That's uh, in, ab- in order to, you know, that scene is not especially bloody. There's no especially gory scenes. Mm-hmm. There's not brain matter or, you know, mm-hmm. bits of scullies picking out of his mustache or anything like that. It's, I think, his menace and, uh, malignancy <laughs> and his sinister like just how deep down he finds something funny in the or he finds it funny over here on what the dagos call my sinister side although your beady little rat eyes don't seem like they're taking in the view bust something up there sweetheart that fucking hurts you fucking understand me <laughs> see that upsets Joni now Oh, Sai, do up the boy. My God, I can't stand to see the other. You want me to see to the boy, Joni? Because you know I'm claying your hands. Sai. What is it, Eddie? We could all be elsewhere? Nothing but true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, only, like, only, like, the biggest, the heaviest of the heavies could pull off that scene. Yeah, and make yeah. it so gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm, so visceral and gut-wrenching, but... You know, looking at, you know, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre effect where it's like, that movie's not that gory. Mm. The implications and, you know, the atmosphere of it is what makes people be like, oh, it's, you know, it's just cheap, cheap trash. Like, actually, it's artful. And so, like, Powers Booth in himself is a one-man Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a sense. <laughs> just, he can just sell yeah. this kind of, you know, brutality. Yeah. Well... Sai is an all-time character, and we're still going to be talking about him for the rest of the show. And I'm sure we'll, you know, have more to say about Powers Booth as we go along. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had one more thing. Um, I saw that uh, Walter Hill, uh, the director of uh, 
the aforementioned Southern Comfort and uh, Extreme Prejudice wrote a um, wrote a tribute to uh, Powers Booth. And if I, if I could, I just wanted to read it real quick. <clears throat> the news of his passing, especially so soon after that of Bill Paxton, came very hard. My friendship with Powers covered many years, yet we somehow managed not... We managed to only do two films. I wish it had been 20. We worked in desert swamps and on sound stages. In all circumstances, I came to admire his good humor, his courtly manners, his bemused reserve. I used to gently tease him as the hamlet of the prairies. And even though it was difficult to imagine anyone more American, a Texan and proud of it, there was something grand about the performances, as well as the man, that was kindred to the Shakespearean. He contained the not usual contradictions of the talented, tough yet sensitive, powerful but gentle, patrician in spirit, but much admired by crews and co-workers. And to put it simply, Powers was a great actor, but it was, kind, it was the kind of greatness best appreciated by colleagues, peers, observant professionals. He had many splendid tools at his disposal, a distinct look, a forceful presence, and of course that voice, so striking in tone and rhythm. But he didn't simply play off the dialogue, as they used to say. He could silence the room with a look. The last few years, we had drifted out of touch, not through any hard feelings, just the vagaries of our lives. Despite any distance with powers, there were certain things I knew would be invariably true. Family first and always, a generosity of spirit, charitable work for veterans, love of country music, a passion for golf and baseball, and his commitment to the code of the cowboy way. It was my privilege to know him and direct him. I'm happy to say his memory will be with me to the end. Rest in peace, Powers. Walter Hill. I think that's as good a place as I need to go out on. Mm -hmm. We appreciate you guys uh, bearing with us for a special episode for an actor who we think deserves his own week dedicated to him. Uh, we will be back next week with coverage of Childish Things. Um, until then... Uh, check us out on Facebook. Just search for Unauthorized Cinnamon and Facebook there. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Deadwood Pod. Uh, we have to send a shout out to our follower. This is her name, not mine. Heeb. H-E-B-E. <laughs> She's at Colin Bohannon. She did us a huge solid and got us a very exciting follower uh, this weekend. So thank you at Colin Bohannon's. I'm not going <laughs> to say your actual name again. I think I'm already pushing it. Um, you can also check out our home at MockingbirdNetwork.com where you can find all our other shows. Uh, but until then, rest in powers, powers. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Mocking Bird Network.